Thank you Andy. for making time. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, I mean, a small thing running two companies at once. <laughs> yeah, no, especially now with, I mean, everything has gone virtual, so I'm sure things are even more crazy for you. So crazy. Yeah. It's been a huge, uh, learning curve as everybody has gone through, but, um, and been pretty incredible since I was, I, we were a hundred percent. I mean, Boober was all about in-person care and I thought, you know, we'll leave virtual care to all, all, there were all these other companies doing that already. And I'm like, I'm all about in-person and then pandemic struck and now we're, everybody is all about <laughs> virtual care. Of course, here we are. Well, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, those, the crappy things are always a blessing in disguise somehow. Um, and I guess now you're on both platforms. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what's been so incredible, you know, again, as the, the last person, you know, ever who wanted to do virtual care to see the feedback coming back from our customers and saying, oh, oh my God, this visit changed my life. Like, I'm not in pain anymore. I can do this. Mm -hmm. Like, that's been so incredibly rewarding. And in a virtual space, of course, you can help people who didn't have access to care before. You can pop in more easily to people when it's not safe, of course, in a pandemic. You can still support people. It's been really, truly amazing to be able nice. to actually, yeah. Good. I'm happy to hear. It's um, So Boober is your second baby that is a branch off of your birthday presence. And do you say birthday or birthday? I guess I, I guess I say birthday present. I say birthday presents. <laughs> it comes out that way, but it's three words. And... <laughs> because it's about the birthday, which is funny because I never thought of, you know, when you have your kid, you're like, oh, I'm my day of labor or delivery, whatever. But one of the nurses that was helping us, she said, oh, happy birthday to my little one when I had her. Happy birthday. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cute. Like, I never thought right. because it's not a birthday, but it is it is the true birthday. Right. right. It's like, you know, and I always think about it's not only your, your kiddo's birthday. It's like, it is your birthday. It's this day that you, you labored and birthed your baby. Um, and it, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful to be there on that, on that day with people. Definitely. So, yeah. So, um, tell me a little bit more about get boober. And then also I want to know about birthday present because yeah. I am like, I know they're intertwined, they're connected. Um, and you're a doula, what, I'm super bouncy, so you might have to rein me back in when I, you know, bounce. No worries. Yeah, no, it's fun to, you know, to talk about how they're intertwined and where they came from. So, um, you know, I'm a maternal health expert, birth doula, postpartum doula, lactation counselor, mother, stepmother. I got started um, birthday presents. My first company was started in 2002, many, many, many moons ago now, 18 years ago. Um, I originally got into this work actually by being invited to a friend's birth. I had just gotten a camera for my mom, you know, so I was excited about photography, always interested in women's health, had, had really been interested in, in college and understanding some level of reproductive health was very interesting to me. I even did my, my senior dance thesis actually on the medicalization of childbirth. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That's, and this, that's so interesting because now it's really, it's like, it, there's a whole movement now that I'm like digging into it. There truly is a whole movement of, you know, the so the free, what are the free births and, you know, all these other types of birthing processes. So I'm sure that, I mean, it's crazy when you really dig into it because it's a whole world. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is a truly deep world and so many people, you know, don't really know about their choices and options around childbirth till they get pregnant and, um, you know, that can, it can be really challenging to suddenly have to take a deep dive into this education rather than just kind of following what's been prescribed. So a lot of people unfortunately have fairly negative birth experiences the first time before they realize what the system in America looks like for birth. Um, and I think, you know, I got really interested, at least in my reading about that medicalization of childbirth and why, um, why it was the way it was. And then a friend of mine soon after college got pregnant um, and invited me to her birth. Uh, you know, and I had the camera and I was like, oh, uh, can I photograph it? She's like, sure. Um, so I went to her birth to, to photograph the birth. But when I arrived, there were actually 19 other people there. So there were 20 of us at this, this incredible birth. And it was at a freestanding birth center. And um, 
you know, she was walking around on a birth ball, in a shower, on a bed, in all sorts of positions, just blew my mind about truly like what childbirth could be. And it wasn't something that most Americans see in their experience of what they think birth is, you know, how it's portrayed in the media. So that was a really incredible experience. It got me just deep into what, what birth could be. And then I went to a um, a birth conference that was on the Upper East Side in New York City um, soon after that. And I met somebody there who, you know, even though it was on the Upper East Side and I lived in Williamsburg at the time, she was like, hey, do you get off at my train station? And I was like, <laughs> um, yeah, I do. That's a little weird. But um, and it turns out she was holding a doula training. I didn't know the word then. And I was like, oh, what? Can you explain that? She's like, no, it's this amazing, you know, you'll become a birth coach, support person. You're going to learn so much about this. And she's such an amazing person. And it happened, turned out this woman happened to live with somebody I knew from high school and lived three blocks from me. So I I was like, okay, I'm going to a doula training in a few days. And so I went to this three-day deep dive immersion training. I was so blown away by what I learned. I met um, another person there who she and I just immediately partnered up. And we were like, well, we need to we need to tell everybody what we, we just took. We just went to this doula training and let's, let's go to births. And so I um, started telling everybody what I knew um, about birth and, hey, do you know any pregnant people? And, and they started getting, you know, referred to us left and right. And I went to a whole bunch of doula births. I was the doula there, you know, um, without fully, we, we hadn't fully figured out what we were doing yet, but the, the calls started kind of coming in, you know, more and more. And we were like, oh, we really are, we're doulas. But I realized as a doula um, that so many of my clients didn't truly understand their choices and options. And they weren't really educated about what birth looked like or what they could say yes to or say no to uh, during labor. And so I I really found myself becoming passionate about education and our meetings with our clients were just taking so long because we were educating them about the whole of their options that I realized I needed to become a childbirth educator. And so I started teaching childbirth classes first out of my apartment actually. Um, and the people came, I couldn't believe it. You know, <laughs> and then we finally, they were starting to get more crowded in my teeny space and we looked for a space. And once we opened our location of birthday presents in them, in Park Slope, like people really started to come. So um, Birthday Presence really grew into a childbirth education center and over time a doula training center. And we've now, you know, helped over 20,000 parents in the New York City area prepare for, for childbirth. We added in lactation classes, newborn care, infant CPR and safety, kind of all of those classes to help parents along. And over the years started bringing back that doula trainer um, to come to Birthday Presence and teach the doula training. So Deborah Pascale Bonaro, who teaches our doula training started coming regularly and now we do about eight doula trainings with her a year wow uh, yeah so boober which is my second baby i call birthday presents is my you know almost teen graduating <laughs> going into college um Boober started a few years ago and it really grew out of my customers out of the market at, at birthday presents. Just so many people, they would give birth and we gave them a list of lactation consultants to call, you know, in case they had any problems after birth. And we started to find in the last few years that people, they would call down the list. They would call five people, seven people, and they couldn't get anybody sometimes to come help them within that day or next day. And we know that people struggling with lactation will find that, you know, if it's really bad, if it's really hurting, if the baby's not getting enough, they will give up pretty quickly because it's just so mm -hmm. dire and the baby and, and when you're in pain, um, it's not sustainable. And I was like, this is crazy. We live in the day of on demand. Like you can get your dog walked, you can get your, you know, your makeup done, you go to Glam yeah. Squad, come over and do your makeup in an hour. It's crazy. So why can't we get this for the most critical support for parents, you know, mm -hmm. that they and I, I just started giving out my cell phone number on a postcard to all of my students. Basically, it's a Texas number if you have any issues with with nursing, um, you know, or with feeding your baby. Like, well, we'll get, we've got you covered. And I knew so many lactation consultants in the city through my 18 years of work here um, and through my training that, you know, I started, I would text people. And I'm like, oh, somebody came in like, okay, hey, who's available? And I would just text all my colleagues or myself. I would go if I was qualified or if it was in my area. Um you know, when the tech started rolling in faster than I could keep up with Boober, 
was formerly born. <laughs> so Boober was all about on-demand in-person, same-day lactation support. And over the years, you know, in the last year before the pandemic, all of the birth and postpartum doula matching I had done at birthday presents, because I had done that for years as well, um, I decided to bring onto the Boober platform. And now Boober is really, we call it, you know, a platform or a marketplace where mm-hmm. expected parents and new families can find all of their pregnancy to postpartum care providers from birth doulas to postpartum doulas, lactation consultants. We launched mental health therapists, fast tracked that when the pandemic struck because obviously it's just so much stress and anxiety for all of us, mm-hmm. but especially imagine if you're pregnant. Um, and now in the next coming months, we're adding pelvic floor therapists, nutritionists, sleep professionals. So kind of all of, you know, we're, we're really a place where parents can find all of those service providers they need to thrive in through their pregnancy and postpartum. And we've also now brought all of the birthday presents classes onto the Boober platform. So ultimately Boober is a place where you can get classes and care for pregnancy to postpartum. Um, birthday presents is going to continue to remain as a training center. Mm-hmm. And then all of the for the customers' classes pregnant uh, for the pregnant people and parents. It's going to be all the classes and care at Boober. And you have a membership for that. You're going to continue that? So we, I think we're going to relaunch what it is, you know, to make it really make a lot of sense in our new space. Mm -hmm. We had a membership of birthday presents for the classes. um, And now we're kind of refining and figuring out, you know, it's been interesting in virtual space, right? What, what people want. Again, we were a total local (laughs) in-person class space, but now we're doing, you know, the virtual classes has been so interesting because we have people now from all over the country coming together um, as well. And so we're trying different formats. We still have live interactive classes where the parents can see each other Mm -hmm. if they want, or they can come to webinar style classes, you know, where we're more talking to them and and doing a a slideshow and teaching them. So a lot of different formats. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, I can. It's so my little one is eight months old. So I had her in the middle of the pandemic or the beginning of it, like the height of it, essentially. So it's interesting because this is why I started this, the podcast, because it's like my mom couldn't come. My mother-in-law couldn't come. Like no one could come because like my only a week before I, cause I went to 41 weeks in a couple days. And at, when I was at like 39 and a half weeks, that was when they said your partner couldn't come in the hospital with you. So it was like such, cause I'm also in New York city and there is such a, um, you know, there was just so much going on. And then at one point I was like, well, maybe I should do, I should try to look into a birthing center or some, or at home birth or, and you know, I was just digging, digging, digging. And I couldn't find because, and it's amazing that you have literally everything in one space, which is when I came across your platform. And then I realized that you had, it was both, both, you know, Boober and birthday presents was you. I was like, oh, this is genius because New York city. And I don't think people understand this unless they live here. It's such a tiny city. Like, it's such a small, small place where, you know, someone knows someone who knows, and you always know someone. Yeah. So it's really, really nice that everything's been able to come full circle for you. And like, you know, you could just put it, you just put it together on the same platform. And all those years, just, it's like, duh, like this, this just makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make it easy for people so they're not stressing, vetting, searching constantly, like, you know, going everywhere. And I have to go on this Facebook group and ask these friends and all these people. And yes, you still want to hear from your friends and you should write, but it's just so disparate and hard. I want to make it really simple. Yeah. And it, it is like now that I've gone through it without anyone having to see, cause when I was searching through your website and stuff, it's literally like, you know, it's, the labor, the, you know, the delivery, the breastfeeding, the lactation, this, like everything is, and it's so just organized. Like it's just, it's all there. So it's really nice to see because there, I mean, as you know, there's so many things that happen that you don't even, you can't, even if someone tells you, you don't really know till you get there. So having just a space to go is like, a, you know, it's a such a godsend, like just boop, there it is. Totally. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, community building is such a part of it too. You know, obviously in person we did more of that, but I think even in the virtual space, like we have these classes where even though you're all like little squares on a screen, (laughs) you're still getting to talk to other people who are going through what you are, you know, and even when we do webinar style and they're not seeing each other, I love like when the parents chat from, I'm like, okay, no, chat it to me. Tell me where you are. Like you're all (laughs) sitting there growing humans like together, you know, whether you're in Brooklyn or you're in Minnesota, wherever. Yeah, no, it is an important, um, which is also why I started this, because I'm like, it's the middle of COVID. 
I'm a new mom. I need, like, I, I can only talk to my mom so much and my sister and my right. friends. Like, I need to, you know, have adult interaction and other senses right. besides work and my hut. Like, I need to know what other women are doing because it's really hard to find even just, like, the mommy and me groups and, you know, that type right. of stuff. is It's a weird, it's, maybe it's just New York City. I don't know because this is where we are, but it's... It's such a weird time. I can imagine having be, you know, being pregnant now and yeah. being so unsure because when I was pregnant and up until April, it was so unsure. So now having a little one, it's like it's even more unclear. Totally. I mean, it, it, what you went through, like that's it's very profound and to have found <laughs> out that your partner could, couldn't come in did that ban get lifted before you got in. Yeah, thankfully everything, I mean, we, I think that we Everything was perfect. He came in. We were we delivered at Mount Sinai, uh, or no, sorry, Lenox Hill. So we, um, it was super, we're on the west side. So it was literally like a. It's normally you know it could take forty five minutes to get there straight across yeah. the park, but it took five minutes. So wow. like, you know the little the good things and the bad things that come with COVID. Yeah. Um, so yeah, straight across Lenox Hill, he came in, no problems, and Great. honestly. We didn't even see, we didn't see one other couple. We didn't see, we only saw doctors, nurses. It was a very smooth experience, thankfully, yeah. because I heard horror stories aside from COVID. Um, so being that it was COVID, it was actually very peaceful and easy. Really interesting. Yeah. Because I guess so many people left the city too. There were probably a lot less yeah. numbers. It's, it's it's interesting. Yeah. There was such a, you know, like you said, you were considering birthing somewhere else. I actually wrote a blog piece about home birth pretty early on, um, saying, Hey, you know, you might want to consider some alternative. This is when we really didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Like were the hospitals going to be overrun or not? Like, or for the people, I kind of wrote it for the people who had already been considering home birth or, you know, Mm. they were like debating is it now might be the time because we don't really know what's going to happen with hospitals. At first I got some really upset emails people are like how dare you suggest that that might be a thing <laughs> I was like oh god I never well why not that. though I mean because I think also since you are very familiar with this world and the more I'm digging into it the more I'm realizing that we're the U.S. we're such outliers Europe everywhere else it's very normal to use a midwife a doula like it's common practice and we're in we're we're just run by this you know this other the the doctors and it's a really interesting thing how they've almost brainwashed us i don't want like i don't know if that's yeah. and so they make it seem like we need them and but this we're and i say this and i'm anyone who listens no i sound like a broken record but this is what our bodies are made for this is what we're built to do so we shouldn't be brainwashed to feel like it's dangerous obviously if you have health conditions that's a whole different thing but for a generalized you know a healthy lady this is what you're supposed to do this is what your body's made for so to have a doula have a midwife it should just it's your body will just go through the steps yeah absolutely i mean that is one thing that you know midwifery was so undermined in this country and all of the studies do hold out and i start by saying i mean i we support all parents no matter what they're doing um you know it's really important to know that there's just so little education about it and so few midwives actually that people don't even know that it is an option and a lot of people you know still like they'll say like a a midwife what is that still a thing even though that's the primary clinical care provider in all other countries right midwives are who you see for birth so it's really only in the u.s where you'd actually see a surgeon for a very normal process where as in these other countries you always have you know surgeons OBGYNs are backing up the midwives of course because you always need to work in tandem with them to keep birth safe um you need both aspects of the care but the average normal low-risk person ideally if they're using midwifery model of care we're going to see way lower rates of cesarean birth and the complications that can come along with that so it is interesting you know we have such a high c-section rate and not to say again c-sections have their absolute place but um, we very much overuse them in this country. And there's very little education about, you know, what, what it would look like to work with a midwife or to use midwifery care. So I am a huge, huge believer in the midwifery model of care um, and getting that, that education out about it. And, and ideally in my, you know, ideal world, we would see 
midwives and OBs really working in tandem. And we do see that in some places here, even, you know, there are some pockets where it's happening. Yeah, I think it's it. I mean, also, you know, my biased perspective, because I live in New York City, it seems like things are going towards a more holistic approach and a lot, you know, that way. Um, So I hope that this is something that's going to be a bit more normalized, which I think that it's just spreading awareness. And with social media and all this, I think that it's so much easier and more readily available for people to have access to it so they can, you know, do their research and see the actual statistics and what's, what's happening in other countries and how it is a better option if that's, you know, something that you want to consider. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And especially with the maternal mortality crisis that we're experiencing here, especially for black birthing people, Mm -hmm. you know, in New York City, eight to 12 times more likely to die. You know, I mean, that's just a a statistic that should be unheard of. Um, And we know that that using the midwifery model of care um, is one thing that would make a huge difference and um, kind of taking the tradition back. And there are many amazing black midwives here who are working on mentoring, um, you know, more midwives, getting more community midwives into, um, into, you know, the system, because right now that is one of the problems is our, our, our systems in general really are biased against midwives. And then of course, if you add in the systemic racism that you'll see within our mm-hmm. institutions, um, that is directly contributing to the unnecessary death, especially of black and brown parents. So, it, you know, in labor. How do you think, um, cause you're around this, you see it, you deal with it. How do you think, or what do you think is the route to help fix it or you know at least kind of get in that direction because it is something that i now that i'm digging into it i'm hearing a lot more about it and i don't know if it's just because of this big movement that's happening um or what it is but you know obviously everyone i hope everyone wants to do their part to you know help with these issues that are happening what do you yeah, I mean, it, it starts, I think, with the institutions evaluating themselves. It starts with our healthcare system in general, our insurance system, yeah. which is, you know, really despicable and doesn't serve all of the people and is inherently racist in that, especially, you know, um, if you can't, we have many doctors who are, are allowed to not accept certain insurance, such as Medicaid, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a national healthcare single payer system, which would eliminate many of disparities um, that's on the table right now in New York State so that's something um, we would really need ACOG the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to really bring and recognize midwifery back into the fold as the midwifery model of care as one of the healthy you know the healthiest way that lower risk people can give birth and really support that we would need to set up systems and institutions that could train midwives and make it accessible, especially to lower income people. The training costs are often a big barrier. That's one of the things that at Birthday Presence, we are providing scholarships and pay what you can spaces into our lactation counselor and doula trainings to allow people to enter into this field at a lower cost or at no cost, depending on what their circumstances mm-hmm. are. So, you know, we have a, a, a BIPOC, um, and LGBTQ plus scholarship system. Um, and we're working at Uber right now on adding into, you know, when somebody books a visit, that's still, we're, we're working this out right now so that we can figure out how to make um, the doula, doula care more affordable to people who can't afford it. It all kind of starts in this system. Um, having doulas, you know, be able to be present with all people um, makes a big difference. Doula care reduces when you have a doula, you're much less likely to have a cesarean birth when you have that advocate with you, uh, the mm-hmm. advocate with you, right? So especially for black and brown birthing people to be able to work with doulas and have doulas that are able to be with them, we'd like to figure out a system of how do how do we make that really affordable and accessible? Um, is it, you know, that Medicaid begins covering this care? There, There is a Medicaid pilot program, but it hasn't actually... Um, fully worked yet because of the amount of reimbursement that they're providing for the doulas. So there's a lot of organizing and active activism, you know, that has to happen. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, people like there are amazing organizations, community-based organizations like Ancient Song Doula Services in Brooklyn run by maternal health activist um, Chanel Portia, people like her, 
you know, her who started this organization years ago to um, really make a difference in, in black and brown communities. Um, so a lot, a lot needs to be done still, absolutely. But it's really the systems themselves need to decide that they don't accept this anymore and that they don't, you know, mm-hmm. accept these disparities mm-hmm. in healthcare system. And, um, you know, we've seen just even from the systemic racism and institutional racism that shows that black people, you know, don't feel pain the same way that that white people feel pain. So black people are not being offered or listened to when they say I'm in pain. Um, You know, Serena Williams is probably the most- Oh yeah, it's such a famous case, yeah. Right, she's a famous case of of a highly educated, Mm -hmm. off person, black person who said, I'm, something's not right. to her and she knows her body of anybody like yeah so that's that's the most common complaint um we hear often there's a you know from black and brown people about just simply not being listened to Mm -hmm. and that their personal opinion about what is happening inside their bodies doesn't matter and therefore they're at higher risk um because people aren't listening to them when they know something's wrong and maybe they're bleeding out and nobody's listening right so um actually a woman named Kimberly Seals Allers, who's another incredible um, maternal health advocate who who wrote The Big Letdown and who also, she just launched an app, she's launching an app right now called Earth, um, which is the Earth app, which is all, it's like a Yelp-like review app where black and brown oh. birthing people can review their doctors, their nurses, their hospital experience. Yeah. And really talk about were they cared for and how were they cared for or what was ignored. Um, and she's hoping that within there, you know, it's going to be really data driven um, to be able to really shift and show the hospitals and say, look, this is what's happening in your mm-hmm. institution. So I'm really excited to, to support Kimberly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll this. have to reach out to her and try to get her on here or connect us yeah. or something. That'd be awesome. She's Where doing- is she? She's based in New York City as well. Oh, nice. It's, it is. See, it's a small city. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's so interesting because it is, well, there's a, so many points to what you're saying and every single point I agree with, just adding on that being, now having gone through such a, um, I guess, you know, pregnancy, labor, delivery, all this stuff, it's like, even as a white person, even though my grandma's from Mexico, so I don't know, you know, I could be brown if I'm tan. Um, anyhow, I, they don't listen to anything you say. Like, even as a white person or whatever you want to call me, they don't, like, I went in and I had, and obviously you can't have a plan. You have to roll with the punches and whatever happens. But I specifically said, I want to do this as natural as possible, blah, blah, blah. And I was ready to endure the pain. I was ready to go through it. I don't have any risk. I don't have any complications, nothing. She was down. She was exactly where she was supposed to be. And just out of nowhere, because the doctor, honestly, I think it's because he was feeling impatient. I don't know what it was, but I feel like that's typically the case because it's it's a numbers game. I want to get this person out, get another person in, be done with it, you know, rack up a bill, charge money, blah, blah, blah. So it's like there is, and so anyhow, my point is, is I end up having an episiotomy just because... I'm assuming he didn't feel like waiting, but there was, that was never even a discussion. It was never, Hey, I'm going to cut you in half now. Ready? It was, there was no, it was just, he did it. And I remember him just grabbing the shears and, and I just remember being like, like, and you can't pause it. You can't say, hold on, stop. No, because especially on your first one, you're just kind of rolling with everything that happens. So I can only imagine how these other people feel when they, you know, because they don't listen to anyone, it seems like. Right, right. No. Yeah, I mean, they really don't. I would say, you know, women are devalued in general in our society as well. Definitely. There is a lot of authority sort of like, I am the authority here to deliver your baby and I'm going to, you know, make that decision. And I think that's really one of the differences in the midwifery model of care as well. And some doctors, by the way, there are OBs who practice in the midwifery model of care and there's some midwives who are more medicalized. So I really talk more about it as a model of care, midwifery meaning, you know, with women or with with birthing people um, that we ideally want our care providers to be really engaged together with us in our care and that they are, we are hiring them to keep 
birth safe when it does go mm-hmm. off course. And there are times where you do need an episiotomy or a C-section, right? Um, if the baby's heart rate is, is significantly lowered or there can be reasons, but we would want ideally for that person to really say, unless it's a true extreme emergency. And even in that case to say, we're having an emergency, mm-hmm. I need to do this, right? Yeah. As opposed, you know, and if it's not, then to be able to, to really speak to the birthing person and say, I'm really thinking about doing this. Like, I want to tell you what's going on in between a contraction, you know, and give you that opportunity to talk about it. Even though, of course, it's very challenging in the moment, no matter what, because talking while you're, you're not in your, yeah. you know, right brain, like you're all of your mental faculties <laughs> are kind of, you're in your animal brain, ideally, you're in, yeah. you're, you know, you're in an instinctive place. Um, and that's why we want to really know that we we are working with the care providers who ultimately have our backs and that they are only going to make certain decisions that are interventive if they absolutely need to, and that we and that we trust them, you know, ideally um, to do that. So it's a, it's a challenging place, you know, to be when you're in that vulnerable state. Well, and I think that the point of having a doula or having someone with you to advocate is it's super, super important because if. It almost seems like when it's your, and I get it first time, second time, third time, whatever it is, the first time you really have no idea what you're going into. So to have someone there and even like, you know, I told my husband, listen, I want this to be as natural as possible. I don't want them to cut me open unless there's a risk of death or, you know, something horrible, but going into it, there was, you know, and my husband doesn't know how is he going to know what he's grabbing the scissors for he doesn't he's not even looking he's just holding you know he's just saying you got this babe like he doesn't want to look and see anything so i think that it's to have another woman there who knows who's been through it who can say whoa hold on what's going on and just because there you do have a second you do have two or three seconds to to talk it over and have a plan and i think that going to your point of they need to essentially merge with you know midwife midwifery and they to put everything together they need to okay it i think that they there's just such a big disconnect because as soon as the midwives and the doulas and that comes in that's when the money slows down because you can't just you know push people through like numbers right because you have to uh-huh. Go. Yeah, I mean, that's really the problem. Yeah. The, the less intervention we have in childbirth, the less they can bill, to exactly. be perfectly honest. That's when exactly have, what it is. Right. I mean, we have a system right now that is literally based on billing procedures. Yeah. And that's how your care provider either makes more money or less money and or the hospital. It, it just doesn't make any sense. It's antithetical to how nor- labor normally works, which is that it most of the time works and it can be a slow process for many mm-hmm. and it takes its time to unfold and it requires a human being to be with you for much of the time to support and care for you. So it's really not a, a big money making proposition. It's interesting when you look at hospitals that have birth centers, you know, in New York city, we, we lost all of our birth centers in the last few years. Um, and especially like the big one that was the most popular one at Mount, it used to be at St. Luke's Roosevelt, then it became Mount Sinai mm-hmm. West, you know, Mount Sinai bought it. And then they eliminated it last year and because birthing centers don't make money because the people who birth them, they tend to have very little, very few C-sections. They, they tend not to request pain medication. They tend to have a normal physiologic, you know, healthy birth experience Mm -hmm. for the most part. And so there's just a whole lot less billing, but a lot more one-on-one patient care required. You know, but they say they say that if you have a good experience at a hospital, in theory, you're going to go back for more, and that's why some hospitals keep those birth centers. They they lose money. They're called a loss leader. You know, they lose and they lose and they lose because our system just doesn't it just doesn't make sense. And as long as we're living in this system that is all about billing, I don't see how the patients are going to get the best care that they need. You know, um, and then you look at the countries that do use midwifery care um, as their first tier Mm -hmm. level of care. They also have socialized medicine, you know, generally. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a whole systemic issue right now, which is forcing people to have to pay for doulas out of pocket and pay for lactation. Yeah. But even then I honestly haven't gone through it now. It's cheaper. I still think it's, it's a better price. You end up saving than, going through, you know, your OB and your doctor and the hospital and this and that, than just doing a midwife or a doula and 
the lactation consultant. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and often having these things, like what we're hoping is that insurance companies come around and get it that like, if I have a doula, I'm less likely to actually have a C-section and the insurance company has to spend a lot more money if I right. have a C-section. Right. So if, if they could start paying for this kind of preventative wellness care up yeah. front, but we know also like in the U S we tend not to be, we don't have a lot of forethought like that. We're, right. we're not super into wellness, although it's getting more common, right. It's getting more popular. better. You know, it's getting a little better recognizing things like acupuncture actually can be really helpful and, yeah. and preventative. Um, so, you know, we're seeing like these, these little increments, but for the most part, we still are needing to pay for a lot of, a lot of it out of pocket. And like, that's something I'm working on right now at Goober with lactation, because according to the Affordable Care Act, you know, you're supposed to be able to get your lactation visit fully covered, even if they're not on your insurance. And it's really tricky, especially in New York City. There's so few lactation consultants who, who are on insurance because the insurance companies won't keep very many people on mm-hmm. as lactation providers. And so you end up in this situation um, where you're like, okay, you call the insurance company and they're like, well, I have one lactation consultant who's in Westchester and you're in Park Slope, let's say, you know, which in New York, if you live there, you're yeah, like, it's like a Cross that's the world. not a thing <laughs> yeah you don't go <laughs> we're not in the same area even upper west side like you can't make a brand a person yeah. with a brand new baby go from park no. to the upper west side no. that's insane you have your little you know five block radius and especially now with covid you don't right. you don't go out of your little neighborhood exactly and so you know technically they it's just this whole rigmarole to get, you have to pay up front and then get reimbursed or try to submit it. And if there's not somebody on your insurance, then you can get this called like geographic gap exception. Um, but who with the baby has the energy or time multiple times. Yeah. And submit the thing multiple times, get rejected. So it, yeah. it's really frustrating. It's the know? same or very similar. I think with a, cause I've also done episodes with pelvic floor specialists. Ah, yeah. It's the same, it's the same back and forth, back and forth. Like I've been going now, my little one's eight months old. I've been going back and forth with my insurance this whole time. They want to pay. They don't want to pay. They do. They don't. The hospital, this, that. And I'm like, I'm going to keep fighting you. It's COVID. I'm like, (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm not going, I have time. I'm not going to. And I think it's the same thing. Like it just back and forth, back and forth. And yeah. And like in France, right, when you give birth, you get a public floor therapist that is con- part of your care. Yeah. Eight to ten seconds. It's it's only, you know, in the U.S., like a few people know about it. We're starting to see it's more. Crazy. We're adding more. It, it's really crazy. And, you know, I actually only recently went to my first public floor specialist because I finally was like, I need to see what this is all about. I talk about it, of course, but I have a 13 year old. And what a difference. You know, like there's a lot of, of things I, I wish I had done that much earlier, but again, you have to pay out of pocket. So, mm-hmm. you know, or you, you can find some people in insurance, but are they near you? Are they possible? Like it, it's, so it's something we really need to get more, more education out about because it makes a huge difference to people's like quality of life and their body feeling and well being and all of it. Um, you know, the more holistic, I think the more preventative and wellness care we can do around this. Mm-hmm better going into all of it and having our baby. And I think, you know, the U S is one of the, is the only country where you're supposed to give birth and you don't see your doctor or midwife for three to six weeks, which is basically an eternity. In, in that time period, that's like just the most miserable. Those first two weeks are just, bleh. you know, it's vulnerable. It's intense. Yeah. And you're like in any other, in, in the other countries we've been talking about, I mean, you get home visiting nurses that come and check on you and it's crazy. You know, and look at your body and see if your you know vaginal bleeding is correct or not or if you're having any type of infection or what's going on and yeah here we're just like okay I guess I'm by myself you know? well and I think that that it, that's what it is now every it's like it's been going on for so many years I'm sure women just say oh well this is just normal this is everyone's doing it so why do I need to be different but the reality is, is it's it's not normal it shouldn't be okay and there's no reason that it shouldn't become a thing to after you give birth, no matter who you are, no matter whether it's your first birth, your fifth birth, you see a pelvic floor specialist, you get checked out. And yeah. I don't mean an OB. Like I went to my delivery doctor, what, I think it was for the two week checkup. And he literally was just like, okay, you're fine. And that was it. Like, that's okay. it. Didn't try, didn't check for DR, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, right. like I was in fitness for a long time. So I thankfully know yeah. like, yeah. 
I've done different, you know, pre and postnatal certification. So I know, but I know that I don't know everything. And I also know that most people don't know. Right. So it's like, if you're doing this to me, I can't imagine how these poor other women feel. Exactly. It's horrible. Um, okay. So lactation, breastfeeding, um, I saw something. What is breast sleeping? Ah, um, breast sleeping is one of the terms that's kind of been coined. Um, Mary Esther Malloy, who is an, a doula, was presenting that workshop. Um, at Birthday Presence, we do a lot of extra training for doulas and workshops. And breast sleeping is this idea of how we actually, what is the normal order of things with a baby if we weren't told what to do? You have your baby right next to you. You kind of roll over, feed the baby, right? They're kind of half sleeping. Maybe they, they go like this in their sleep. You pop your boob in their mouth. They easily go back to sleep, and they're still sleeping kind of through this, this mm -hmm. breastfeed session or body feeding session. And um, it's it's like we're in this state right now where, where people, you know, in the U.S., we put babies in cribs in other rooms for mm -hmm. a long time, right? So now the American Academy of Pediatrics finally recognizes that babies should be in the same room with you and should be close, obviously, in a sleep, sleeping situation. But breast sleeping is just really talking about the real normal ways that babies kind of just gently rouse when they're nearby you and, and want to nurse off of you and kind of go back to sleep. And then the birthing parent can go back to sleep easily too. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I get that. And it's funny because if that kind of phrase was only recently coined, because it's, so, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not sure actually like if, who, who coined it and I haven't taken the class yet. So I'm looking forward to it. Sounds like a good one. Uh, and then I have one, well, I'm sure there's a ton of other questions I could think of, but one that I'm thinking of specifically about lactation is, and I don't know how true it is. So tell me what you know about this women who adopt or, um, surrogate or someone who didn't necessarily birth the baby, it's possible for them to breastfeed. It is possible. How's that work? You know, we say it is possible for them to lactate. It's possible. It's not always possible. We don't want people to think that they can necessarily offer a complete and full level of, of breast milk. Um, some people can. It's really a hormonal-driven situation. So somebody who didn't birth the child can use a series of physical methods to pump or extract, right? Like if mm -hmm. you... If you um, are using a breast pump or using your hands there are protocols where you start stimulating really regularly uh, to because that stimulation is part of what tells us to make more hormone related to you know prolactin and oxytocin to get the milk out um, there are also medications that some mm. people will take or hormonal or hormone additions that people will take so if somebody is interested in what we call inducing lactation they usually do they want to reach out to a lactation consultant and work on this protocol they have to decide how to what levels they're willing to go um you know um to do that and then also be prepared to know that it may not be the complete amount and so some people who are adoptive um you know or the um get the the non-birthing parent in a, in a partnership or et cetera, may use something like there's something called an SNS where they put a bottle up here. A, a, it could be donor breast milk. It could be some of their milk. It could mm -hmm. be, you know, other people's milk uh, blended with possibly formula depending on, you know, what they get and what they have. And they put that there and then they tape a tube down to their breast and oh. then the baby latches on and can be getting enough here, but then starting to stimulate the person and maybe getting some from them as well. So interesting. It's, um, the whole breastfeeding thing is it, it's like, obviously here I say it again, this is what our bodies are made for, but it's a wild thing because, um, a woman who I actually had on recently, but we're also friendly is she breastfed for 10 years. I mean, wow. three kids during that okay. time period, but they're all close in age. So it was like 10 years of breastfeeding and it, it just blows my mind that your body can just, and I mean, I'm sure you've seen and you know, you've done the research and all this on how the milk it's in such different colors and you know, it varies according if the baby's sick or if you're sick or you know, the age. And as they, she was explaining because the common thought is that if you're breastfeeding, you, it's like a form of contraception, right? So you're not going to get pregnant. 
but it's basically what she explained is that that's until about a year old because of the fat content or something. Um, so it's just very interesting because it is, it's a whole science, but it's so natural. Yeah. It's really interesting. You know, when you, in terms of, of using it as birth control, um, the way it does make it much less likely that you will get pregnant. We want to be careful as you know, what we put out there because you, before you get your first period, you do ovulate usually first. And so you may, before you get that first period, ovulate and therefore could get pregnant, but didn't know you were fertile yet. And so if you're using lactation, um, you know, in the hopes that it is going to make you not fertile, um, they say, in the, you know, you have to be exclusively breastfeeding or body feeding. So it has to be very regular, very regular. You can't like, once you start introducing even solid foods, which often for people is around six months and you start to, you know, nurse your baby a little bit less and that regular, regular consistency Mm -hmm. happens, you know, you should rely on this method even less because we start to, the (laughs) the hormones start to start to chip. So plenty of people have gotten pregnant even while they're exclusively nursing. But historically you do see that the average amount of time people nurse their baby was somewhere between two and four years um, in all cultures. And historically you also see child spacing to be around two to three years, Mm. you know, in a lot of cultures. So if you are nursing quite a lot that that may help with that but I still I still would be very mindful of a hundred percent relying on it because (laughs) there are people who will certainly end up pregnant having not gotten that first period and didn't realize that they ovulated Um, yeah that pull-out method is helpful (laughs) (laughs) um with that the um oh I just lost my train of thought um Oh, what, so what is, I guess the, I I assume it's the WHO, their general um, guideline for exclusively nursing now, that's what, till a year or what's the recommendation? Yeah. um, So the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends exclusive, um, you know, body feeding or breastfeeding uh, for the first six months. So the recommendation right now is exclusive for first six months. And then they say, and beyond as you wish, there's no limit to the amount of time, um, you know, and we know that a lot of people naturally will breastfeed if they don't stop, you know, babies often they'll wean on their own. Sometimes around age one is common. Some babies a little earlier, Mm -hmm. but others will just go forever, you know, as long as, and of course they're eating foods as well, but it's very natural uh, for babies to continue on. But from the health perspective, if we look at the health benefits, of exclusive um, nursing and lactation, you know, they really see it as exclusively for six months. And obviously not all people um, can do that. Um, and there is the possibility people can supplement as well if possible with donor breast milk or mm. formula. Those are the only things that a baby should consume up to six months. But a lot of people don't realize that when they're being told to supplement that they could, if they're not making enough, there is a, they could pump possibly to increase their own supply if they if they wanted to. If they're working with a lactation consultant, they could learn a little bit more about bringing up their supply through external stimulation um, or that in some cases donor breast milk would be possible. I mean, that's something I'd like to see this country actually helping people out with and making that a possibility um, as the human you know milk substitute as one option, um, of course. But, you know, I think that in terms of what the recommendation is, it's this kind of exclusive uh, six months. And we do see benefits that we don't really talk about a lot, but you do see health benefits the longer somebody, um, you know, feeds from their body, you will see benefits like lower risk of breast cancer, lower rates of ovarian cancer and, and various things like that, that we don't talk about so much. So, um, it should just really, you know, it's hard when we start talking about is, you know, is breastfeeding a choice or not? Yes, of course, every individual should be able to make their own choice. A lot of this is talking from a public health perspective that, People don't actually have the choice if nobody's there to help them. Right. Um, people don't have the choice if they give birth in a hospital and there's no lactation support professional who is coming and really working mm-hmm. with them. So if they're struggling, a lot of times a lactation consultant can make a huge difference. But if nobody's there to help them, um, then then they don't have the choice. And there's a lot of cultural reasons why you know people aren't able to exclusively breastfeed, and some don't want to, of course. But the don't want, we really need to look again. There's so much you know racism in, in lactation support or availability. We'll see in the hospitals formula is offered much more readily to black and brown parents than to white parents, and um, there's so many things packed 
into why people can or cannot breastfeed. So we really need to look at people's, you know, histories um, in order to support kind of everybody. So, you know, my goal at, at Uber is to really meet people where they are, um, whatever their path is, so that we can have people who can help the parents in, you know, whatever their feeding goal is, whether that is, 100% exclusive nursing or whether they want to partially, you know, nurse or whether they're, some people are exclusive pumpers, some people end up formula feeding exclusively. You know, I, I talked to one woman in, early on in Boober who called and was just like, on the phone just started crying. She said, I just actually, I don't want to breastfeed. She had a five day old. She was just like, cause I, she was trying to look for lactation help. And then she just started crying and said she didn't want to breastfeed. It was not like everybody else wanted her to, Right. Said, you know, okay, tell me more. Yeah just like bald and, and talked about it. And she said, you know, you're the first person who said I didn't have to, I didn't want to. I was like, absolutely. She was so engorged. She needed help. And I said, why don't you just meet with a lactation consultant who can help you make a weaning plan? Because, yeah. and, and then, you know, she felt supported and I don't know in the end what she decided to do, but I know that we supported her. And so that was really, that was a big deal. Well, and it seems like having gone through it recently, it seems like it's just, it's difficult to find the support for whatever it is. So like one, a girl who I had on here, who I am, you know, friends with personally, she's a single mother. The dad isn't in the picture. She's a lawyer. She's not from here. She's from the Philippines. So having had COVID happen, her mom and her parents couldn't come to help. She didn't have help. She had to go to the hospital by herself. She, you know, did everything by herself and it's crazy because she was trying to nurse and she did nurse she went back to work you know being a lawyer it's pretty strict here in new york city they didn't have like a nursing area they didn't have a specific like a special designated thing for her and she said that she literally just bawled her eyes out for the first week back at work because she couldn't keep nursing and she couldn't be at home like she couldn't pump she couldn't do anything because she just they just there was zero support and it's like of all places in the U.S. You would think that in New York is, you know, pretty modern, you would think, but clearly we're lacking when it comes to this, especially like, yeah. and you know, she obviously is a smart woman. Like she's educated, she's successful, but she just couldn't, she couldn't finagle that part of it. And she said it just broke her because, you know, she's not with her, her daughter all day. She, it's like over 12 hours of being separated from her, but she was willing to pump and to try to figure it out, but she just didn't have a space at the law firm to do it. And obviously when it's a male dominated kind of space, right. she said that it like, they kind of shunned her from doing it essentially. And it's like, it's horrible. It's so, it's so sad. It's so heartbreaking to hear and potentially illegal, but if that law it's firm is definitely a hundred percent illegal, but you know, what do you I, do? Because she has to provide, she's her job, you know, yeah. and, um, but there's yeah. a lot of, you know, I guess, corrupt or illegal things that happen being like, I went through a crazy situation where I was working, being pregnant. And it's like, just, you know, I'm, we're not disabled. We, yes, they've, exactly. they've created this, made it seem like you are, but we're not disabled when we're pregnant. Like we're more disabled after we have the baby when we're broken in half and they expect you to just be perfectly fine and host and, you know, do all these things. But when we're pregnant, we're fine. Right. I mean, I think it's our, it's our lack of, you know, um, post, you know, maternity laws about going back to work. Um, right. In other countries, I mean, we just, you know, in the postpartum doula training last week, Deborah always updates us up on the latest stats. I think it was Finland that has three years of fully paid <laughs> or close to fully paid. I mean, wow. I don't, it was amazing. Right. And she just went through all the different countries and then came, came to the U S right. Where you're like, maybe, you've seen, maybe you've eight weeks. Some people, at, at, you know, have a few months, but not, not many. And it's just not built in or baked into the system. And so we don't, you wouldn't need the level of lactation consultant. Like we have back to work visits at Uber where you can, you know, hire somebody to do a one-on-one, -on -one, how to get you back to work, how to advocate for yourself, how to um, work on your pumping schedule at work and try to keep the milk supply up. But like, why should you need that at all? That's crazy. That's not like a thing that you should have to 
learn or pay or have to do because we have this system that doesn't support parenting as such an important role of growing up the future Mm -hmm. right it's just go back to work and and stop giving this this like you know amazing life-giving milk this milk that would would create less and less in babies if they kept doing it longer we know that right but now now that mom who's not able to keep breastfeeding may have a child that gets a little sicker possibly that's one thing and has to go you know take a mm-hmm. sick day to take care of the baby instead of just being able to be with the baby and nurse or even you know she tried to keep up her pumping but the culture of the company couldn't support that um, it's crazy it's really crazy um what so you mentioned and I've heard of this. I'm vaguely, very vaguely familiar. The um, milk donation, something. The woman who I was telling you about who breastfed for 10 years, she yeah. said that at some point, even she wasn't pumping and she just was still producing because she was doing it for so long that okay. she was donating it or essentially just giving it to um, a couple, a lesbian couple who recently adopted. Mm-hmm. So she yeah. said that she it was so rewarding for her to do that. But she knew that if you go through an agency, it's very expensive. Do you know how that works or what? It is. It's very tricky. I mean, so there's all sorts of informal breast milk sharing systems. But the the problem is you do have to be mindful that if you get breast milk from a stranger, you know, there is disease that can be passed in breast milk. Yeah. So it's there is a risk to just going and even though people Hold on. Disease can be passed between... How does that work? What is that? There is some, you know, um, like... If there's HIV in the breast milk, there you know there's certain things that you would not want to transmit. You know, very very few things. A lot of things can't be, but um, they they do screen um, breast milk. They you know if you go through these formal places, and and that's one of. Them. But it's it's it is expensive, and that's why ultimately it should be sort of like there's a national donor breast milk bank, right, where we could have a system of donation and getting. Um, that's what I would I would like to see. And so there are these, you know, like the Donor Breast Milk Bank of New York. You can apply in certain situations if you if you need it, especially for preemie babies who especially need breast milk, who that's really safer for. But it is very tricky. So if you know somebody, if you're able, you know, I mean, I can't formally endorse it, but right. I can definitely tell people that there's tons of, of ways and people that you know who may have extra breast milk, who you know their health status and if you're comfortable with that, um, that people will will do that because, you know, does need to be more accessible and there are some people who have so much extra yeah it is, and you know it's i going back to kind of diving into this world my um my sister-in-law breastfed and it came very easily for her and she had just way over supply so she was freezing it and our my little one and my their little one just a few months apart and it's funny because she was like oh i have all this extra you want it and i at the time i was like I think that's weird. No, thing. Like, I don't, I like, but now that I know it's really, and it's, I think it's expensive per ounce or per, like, so it's really a huge thing to try to navigate through. Yeah. They don't call it liquid gold for nothing, you know, not only because it's expensive, but it just has these antibodies and the properties, especially the first colostrum. So yeah, (laughs) definitely. Um, so I want to keep talking because I think that there's a lot, but I know, you know, it's, you got stuff to do, I got stuff to do, um, I but I, do you have anything else you want to share? Any other things you're working on? Any links I can include? Any? Yeah. I mean, I would just love for people to come to Boober. It's at getboober.com and, or visit us on Instagram at getboober. Uh, sorry, at getboober on IG. We do a lot of, you know, you'll find me there doing Tip Tuesday. I do a lot of fun little videos doing teaching. Um, we also just, you know, we want to be a resource to everyone who needs care or support. So um, we've, you know, like I said, we launched our classes, which has been really exciting. So I do like a great prep for postpartum class, which is one hour, $15. Like well, there's a lot of great pain coping classes that you can drop in on that are unique and interesting where you practice guided visualizations or breathing or movements and positions. I'm trying to kind of chunk up childbirth education. So some people may have taken somewhere else, but just want this little supplement, which can be really nice. We have a fantastic infant CPR and safety uh, class. So all of our webinars are live and interactive and really you know dynamic and fun and engaging. So come to us for some classes. We do tons of free webinars. We do a COVID resources uh, page as well, where you can get more information on, you know, as to how COVID is affecting 
nursing or whatever you're going through a great blog that we work on a lot so you know i just hope that the people if they need care they know that they can get it that they can reach out to us virtually now so we can support people wherever they are in a lot of places with due to covid doulas are not allowed into a lot of hospitals really um, yeah in new york they are allowed we have an executive order but i'm talking to people all over the country who are just like nope doulas are banned and it's so horrible yeah it's really horrible but you know, virtual doulas can make a huge difference. So I encourage people to think about that, even if they're like, wait, what, how is that possible? Yeah. Um, be really supportive and helpful to people who need that guide and want somebody, you know, in their ears talking to them, or they can, we can do videos and text you, show you, here's a great, you know, pressure point, or here's a position to try, mm -hmm. or really be on screen, engaging with a couple or a parent the whole time to, to provide that kind of support during labor. So. I could see how that's helpful. I mean, I went in, I had a fault. I had two false alarms when I wasn't going into labor, but there was a little helpful thing where they said, just, you know, press on your hip, like push them together essentially. Yeah, and so I'm sure, yeah. Wow. Lifesaver. But I'm sure there's a ton of other, um, little tips and trip tricks that, you know, having someone in your ear on FaceTime, yeah. it would be a big, big lifesaver. Yeah, it's huge. So I think just people are a little skeptical about it. So I'm still just encouraging people to kind of look into what, what is a virtual doula and how can they help me? Yeah, yeah I could see that being helpful. Um, cool. Well, thank you for your time. Oh. Yes. Thank you for having me. Lovely Absolutely. To